everybody. How's the sound? How's the sound at the back? You good? Yeah? Is that more? Higher? Good. Okay. Okay, so we're still waiting. There's a lot of people still filing in. So uh, let's just sit quietly for a few minutes. Let's gather ourselves and settle and arrive. <coughs> Your body may have arrived, but your mind may not have arrived yet. So just feel your body sitting in the chair. Take a few deeper breaths. (coughs) As much as you can, letting go of whatever thoughts and concerns and worries that you might be carrying. Let the body settle into stillness. So a couple of logistical announcements before we start. If you have your cell phones on, please turn them off. Throw them away, hand them over. Um, Or at least put them in, silence them. Enjoy the pleasure of being unplugged for a day. They don't really work here anyway, which is a good thing. 
but just in case you're tempted to Facebook or something. I see a lot of conferences now. People are, you know, these mindfulness conferences and meditation conferences. <laughs> Everyone's texting. This is a great conference, man. I'm so in the moment. <laughs> and if you are here getting continuing education units, please, uh, if you haven't already signed in, please sign in. And remember to sign out at the end of the day so we can give you your certificate. So my name is Mark Coleman. Welcome to Spirit Rock. Welcome to this day of meditation, of practice, of inquiry, of discussion on what is Vipassana, what is insight meditation, what does it mean to be mindful, to be awake in this life. There's a cartoon that someone sent me not so long ago from Bizarro Comics. And it's a riff on the So You Think You Can Dance show, except it's called So You Think You Can Meditate. And there's a little guy sitting on a stage with a spotlight and three judges looking at him. <laughs> and he's sitting there. <laughs> this will be the next reality TV show. I am sure of it. So I'm always curious who is here and why you're here and why you've chosen to spend a day in meditation and studying mindfulness and vipassana. So um, maybe you can, if I can just show, have a show of hands, who's new to Spirit Rock here today? Anybody? Oh, a lot of you. Great. And for how many of you is this your first uh, day of meditation practice? All right, good. And how many people are new to mindfulness? How many is it? Okay, some. It's interesting. Mindfulness is, be is becoming so uh, mainstream these days. When I, s when if I did this show of hands twenty years ago, thirty years ago, when I started practicing meditation, people would go, "What's that? That's weird. That's just for weirdos." <laughs> so now it's, be of course, it's become incredibly popular in different fields, particularly psychology, healthcare. And the research is uh, prolific, three, four hundred research papers every year on the field of mindfulness and its efficacy with various diff different um, applications and for different mental health issues. And, and I had another question. So, um, hmm. So how many people have been meditating, say, more than five years? Just going to show of hands. Okay, good. Anybody want to get enlightened? <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. Just checking. So Humpty Dumpty's in the therapist office. And, uh, and the therapist is saying, Now Humpty, we have to get you to the place where you can solve and put yourself back together again. <laughs> so this is partly what our practice is, is looking at the ways that we are challenged, the ways that we may feel broken, the may, ways we're not whole. So the word Vipassana literally means uh, seeing clearly insight into 
what's true. So we hear the, the, the basis of mindfulness or the, the function of mindfulness is to support clear seeing. So the original word sati for mindfulness, um, uh, the pr- translation I prefer is clear awareness, a lucid awareness. So we're cultivating a lucid awareness to see clearly ourselves, to see clearly each other, to see clearly the nature of reality, to see the, the ways that we cause suffering and the ways that we can be free, to, to live with a sense of abiding well-being or peace or happiness. This is a quote from the author Jules Renard who said, if I had my life to live over again, I would ask that nothing be changed, but that my eyes be opened wider. That my eyes be opened wider. So, and I I think that quote is very pertinent because in this practice, from this orientation, we're not necessarily about fixing and changing our experience. We're learning how to meet it with a certain clarity, Awareness, acceptance, welcoming, curiosity, so we can get close to it, so we can understand it, so we can see what and where we get ourselves into trouble. Anybody see how they get themselves into trouble? How your mind and its habits and its tendencies and peculiarities, right? We create a lot of our own distress. We create, and there's plenty of suffering in the world, and then we, of course, add to it by our own predilection. There's a, a poem from the Sufi poet Hafez who says, um, you have all the ingredients to turn your lives into a nightmare. Do not mix them. Do not mix them. But of course we mix them, right? We walk in here, someone's sitting like a Buddha, we start comparing, we feel deficient, we start judging ourselves, we're regretting all the times that we haven't meditated and stole that in a pot and we feel terrible. So we do that all the times in different ways. He said, you you also have the ingredients to turn your life, your existence into joy. Mix them, mix them. So here we're learning different qualities, different ingredients that we have innately within us. There's nothing here that I'm going to teach that you don't already have within you, awareness, clarity, kindness, acceptance, compassion, right? We, we know these qualities and we can all develop them further. So we have those ingredients to mix them, mix them. So I started this practice um, about 30 years ago now in the East End of London. When I, I had, at the time I had a, a white mohawk and uh, blue sides, my hair, and I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. And I was at college, I was an angry young man, and was suffering a lot. And didn't know why I was unhappy, but I knew I was unhappy. And I happened to stumble upon this meditation center, which is probably the only one in London, which is literally around the corner from my house in, in Bethnal Green, in the east end of London. They run down depressed part of London at the time. And there was, and I walked in the center, and I didn't know what I was getting into. But I saw these people walking around, and they had something about them. They had a quality of presence that I didn't know what it was, but I, 
immediately saw that they had some something, something that I was lacking, some quality of awareness, presence, uh, dignity. And I was immediately pulled, like, I want, I want whatever it is that they've been doing. <laughs> I, wa- I want that. I want that. And so it's something pulled me. And in wha- so what happened is, you know, the, the shift, the radical shift happened was uh, instead of blaming and being angry with all the things that I thought was wrong with the world and why I was unhappy, I began to look at my own mind. Began to look at, well, what's going on here that's maybe also adding to discomfort, distress, pain? And so that began my journey and it became very compelling for the next, you know, this, all, all, this whole journey, this whole time has been one of exploring what brings well-being, what brings happiness. Why is it right now in this moment that you're not sitting happily at peace? Right? What is getting in the way in this moment of you residing with a sense of well-being and ease? And that lasting all day. I once there was a there was an Indian guru in town, and he said, "Who has who has had unbroken peace for the last twenty four hours? How many hands do you think went up? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> so why is that? Why is it? You know, we, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful place. We're well fed. There's nice people around. What is interfering with a sense of well being? A sense of happiness, sense of peace. We want to look at that, right? That's what's what's interfering. We want to get curious. So this is maybe one reason why we're not so resting and well-being. Have you been busy? How's your work? Busy. How's your week? Good. Busy. You name the question, busy is the answer. Yes, yes, I know we're all terribly busy doing terribly important things, but I think more often than not, busy is simply the most acceptable knee-jerk response. Certainly there are more interesting and more accurate ways of answering the question, how are you? Like, I'm hungry for a burrito. I'm envious of my best friend. I'm frustrated by everything that's broken in my house. Or I'm itchy. (laughs) But busy stands alone as the easiest way of summarizing all that you do and all that you are. I'm busy is a short way of saying or implying my time is filled, my phone doesn't stop ringing, and you should think well of me. (laughs) Sound familiar? Busy, busy, busy. Did cavemen think they were busy too? (laughs) Ah, man, this week's busy. I've got about 10 caves to draw in. Can you come by next week? (laughs) No. I've started to think that, like youth, the word nothing is wasted on the young. Because when you ask a kid, what what do you do today? How was your day? What did you do at school? Mm, Nothing. (laughs) No. Maybe we should try reintroducing nothing into our grown-up vernacular. Nothing. I say it a few times and I can feel myself becoming quiet, decaffeinated, zenish. Nothing. Now I'm picturing emptiness, a white blanket, a couple of ducks gliding on a still pond. Nothing, nothing, nothing. How do we get so far from it? So today, we are going to do a lot of nothing. <laughs> we can do a lot of sitting around and walking around doing nothing. Hopefully not trying to get anywhere, not trying to be somebody special, not trying to fix yourself, but just simply be 
Lao Tzu, the great Taoist philosopher, said the most important thing to do is to be. Remember, we're called human beings, right? We forget the being part. We become human doings. Or as my colleague Wes Niska puts it, we become homo shoppians. <laughs> I shop, therefore I am. I shop, therefore I am. So, uh, mindfulness is the basis of insight meditation, vipassana, seeing clearly. What is mindfulness? Anybody like to say, what is mindfulness? I'm sure many of you have already read about it, studied it, practiced it. Anybody? One word, two words? Yes. Ah, yes, I gave a secret away. Awareness. <laughs> what else? Being present in the moment. Being present in the moment, uh-huh. Not the past or the future. Not the past or the future, yes. Paying attention. Paying attention, mm-hmm. <coughs> what else? Letting it happen. Letting it happen, letting be, allowing, mm-hmm. What else? Yes. Non-judgment. Non-judgment. So paying attention in the present moment, without judgment, allowing ourselves to be with awareness. Okay, that's a pretty good definition. It covers a lot of the bases. It's a direct form of knowing, of observing, rather than through our ideas and concepts and stories and preferences and projections. It's actually being with experience as it is, which is easier said than done. Try looking at somebody, right? Look around the room, right? Look at somebody and see if you can be present to them without the mind having some kind of idea or preference or bias or preconception about who this person is. Right? How many stories have you had about people in the room? Oh, that looks like so-and-so. Oh, they're a good meditator, I can tell by their posture. <laughs> this person looks like a lawyer over there. <clears throat> so mindfulness gives us a capacity to know our experience, to become intimate and familiar through self-awareness, what's happening in our inner experience, and also our outer experience. So we can become pr- more present to our body, to our feelings, to our emotions, to our thoughts, to our ideas and beliefs and concepts, to our perceptions, to being aware of each other, and being aware of what's governing this world, the rules, the laws that, that, that we live under, we live in. So the Buddha, for the Buddha, this was the central, one of the central pieces of his teaching. So prior to his awakening, there wasn't really a practice of mindfulness. There was practice of, there were many, many, many kinds of meditation. But he really, um, really uh, articulated this capacity of knowing, of, of awareness, mindfulness, and particularly learning how to be present to different aspects of our experience, body, breath, feeling, sensations, thoughts, emotion. And it formed the basis for his teaching that we use this mindful awareness to study ourselves, study how we bind ourselves into different ways of suffering. And he gave some interesting analogies for mindfulness that I think, are, or metaphors that I think are quite useful. 
So my favorite metaphor he gave is, um, and you see this a lot in India. So the Buddha taught in northern India 2,500 years ago, and much of rural India is quite similar. And so he gave the analogy of a cowherder. So a cowherder, so you get these young boys and girls, usually boy, young boys, who tend to the cows so they don't run into the rice paddies and eat the crops. And um, th the analogy he gave was that the, the cowherder is sitting relaxed up against the back of a tree, surveying the landscape, aware of his cows, relaxed but alert. And this is a quality that we're, that we're looking to develop, relaxed but alert. So not like a cat over a mouse hole. <coughs> Another analogy he gave is a watchtower standing at the top of a watchtower and surveying the, the whole of our experience. Kind of like when you're driving. Driving, from, driving is, hopefully, when you're not texting and eating and you know, whatever else you're doing, is a form of um, open awareness. So awareness, awareness is like a lens. Right? We can look at the night sky and it's vast, open, wide, or I just came from New Mexico, these vast canyon vistas, right? beautiful skies, open awareness. And then he also said, awareness is like a surgeon's probe. Mindfulness is like a surgeon's probe. So very precise, very particular, very exact. So, and what's interesting, what's amazing really, is that, that we have this quality of awareness that's allowing you to know what's happening right now as I'm talking, that has facility to, to have all these different ranges, from vast to particular to microscopic to focused, and so it, with mindfulness training, we're learning how to utilize this quality of attention, to be dexterous with it, just like we're dexterous with many other of our skills. So a more modern analogy is um, someone who's mindful is like a surfer who rides the waves. We don't stop the waves, but we learn how to ride the wave. We learn how to ride the waves of our experience. So let's do a very short exercise. It's the hardest exercise you'll do all day, um, maybe, or the easiest. <laughs> and it's an indicator for this quality of awareness. So the, we'll do this for a minute. And the exercise the instruction is to not pay attention, to not be mindful, to not be aware, to not notice anything, okay? and don't make any effort. So see what happens. You can have your eyes open or eyes closed, it doesn't matter because you're not noticing anyway, so. <laughs>
since you weren't noticing that was the bell, and uh, that's to stop the practice right there. So I want to hear, what did you notice in your period of not noticing? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Impressive. Yes? Um, that all, all my thoughts were the truth. You noticed all your thoughts were the truth. So you noticed thinking and thinking about your thoughts. Okay, yes? I noticed that the easiest way or the quickest path to getting out of the present was to jump into my to-do list. Aha. Uh-huh. So easiest way to get out of the present was to jump into the to-do list. So you were noticing that you were thinking about your to-do list. <coughs> the back. It's impossible not to notice. Okay, here we have the answer to the question. It's impossible not to notice something. Why? Because that's what we do. So awareness is the nature of our mind, and awareness is the nature of our being, really. And awareness does not switch itself off, even in sleep. When we wake up in the morning, we know whether we've had a good night's sleep or a bad night's sleep. But that aside, sleeping aside, which is a contentious, more contentious issue, um, awareness is omnipresent. We're always aware of something. Even if we try not to be aware, we're present to what we're trying not to be aware of, which is usually thinking, or resisting, or checking out. So resisting to checking, even when we check out, we're present to checking out, because we know we've checked out, or we know that when we arrive back in the present. So this is the good news. The good news is if mindfulness is really awareness and awareness is always present, is always available, is always present to something, then you see how that's the good news? (laughs) If you want to wake up and it requires being aware and awareness is always available, then you're already halfway there, if not the whole way there. So the question is, the important question is, what are we aware of? What are we paying attention to? Because that really determines a lot of our life, our experience, our wisdom, our happiness. Where does our attention go? Where does this awareness that's always present to something, where does it go most of the time? Any guesses? Where is your awareness mostly focused on? What do you Future or past, yes. What else would they? Ourselves. Ourselves, for sure ourselves. <laughs> what particular part of ourselves? Ego. Ego. What else? Suffering. Suffering. We focus on, on suffering, what's wrong, what's negative, what's a problem, yes? Usually it's about ourselves and what we did in the past, what we didn't do in the past, or what might happen in the future. Right, so we're thinking about the past, regretting, and anticipating the future. Yeah, so the brain is very hardwired to anticipate the future, to anticipate uh, threat. Um, And so we have a, we have the brain has a strong negative bias uh, oriented towards what's fearful, what's threatening. Mostly our attention goes to our thoughts. Have you noticed? that you're mostly thinking, well, you'll f- discover in a minute if you haven't noticed that already, because we're going to meditate, and that's when you really notice how much you think. <laughs> so um, so we want to we get to know where our attention goes. 
when we meditate, when we, when we give ourselves a chosen focus of attention, we see how difficult that is and we see actually where we mostly hang out because we won't be with the focus of attention. We'll be what we normally do, which is hang out with wherever we're familiar with, which is usually our thinking and a certain kind of thinking. So another little exercise. So I want you to um, to just move your hand up and down in space, just up and down like that, just pretty casual. You might look at your hand or not. Okay. And now close your eyes and slow that movement down and put all of your awareness into your hand, your arm, the sensations, the temperature, the weight, and slow it down even more. And really pour awareness into the arm, the hand. Okay, and you can put your arm down, open your eyes. What did you notice the difference between the, the first way of doing it and the second way of doing it? Anybody? Notice any difference? The second way, it becomes alive. The second way becomes alive. Uh-huh. Yeah, it becomes alive. Anything else? Felt heavier. Felt heavier. So you notice the weight. It helps you be present. Right. So I would say that... The, you know, it's a crude analogy, but the the normal way of be being in our lives is like this. We're sort of going about, and we're sort of present, but we're sort of not really. And then with mindfulness, we slow. We don't have to slow it down, but we, we will today just to support mindfulness. And we see, we, we develop a more embodied attention. It's like, it's like paying attention from within versus looking at the externals of our experience. So another important component of mindfulness is uh, what in the, in the Buddhist tradition we call beginner's mind. And beginner's mind is this capacity to know our experience fresh, know our experience as if for the first time, like a childlike curiosity. So when we pay attention to the breath, rather than thinking, ugh, breath, I do that in yoga, <laughs> so off, so last century, um, <laughs> we actually we, we, we let go of that idea of thinking that we know the breath and then we come, we bring our attention close, fresh, as if we've never experienced it. We experience it for the first time, which is easier said than done because we so easily go on autopilot. This is from Ardy Lang, great psychologist, who was talking about this, this, this quality of not knowing, but from the opposite end, which is generally in our lives, particularly at work, um, we're expected to know. He writes, there is something I don't know that I'm supposed to know. I don't know what it is I don't know, and yet I'm supposed to know. And I feel I look stupid if I seem to both not know it and not know what it is I don't know. <laughs> Therefore, I pretend to know it. This is nerve-wracking since I don't know what I must pretend to know. <laughs> Therefore, I pretend to know everything. I feel you know what I'm supposed to know, but you can't tell me what it is because you don't know that I don't know what it is. You may know 
what I don't know, but not that I don't know it, and I can't tell you, so you'll have to tell me everything. (laughs) That was probably very challenging to sign. (laughs) Because I find it hard to read and hard to understand. Basically, we often go through our lives pretending we know, like we know what who we are, or we know what somebody else is, or we know what this tree is out here, or we know what our breath is. And actually when we come close to something, it's, it's, it's always new, it's always fresh. Okay, so we're going to do some practice in a moment. This is Gary Larson's version of um, the, the, the Gary Larson's version of um, being in the present with this don't know mind. So there's a bunch of cows eating grass in the field, and they're all happily chomping away, except one who, who's wait, wait a minute, this is grass. We've been eating grass. <laughs> As we wake up with beginner's mind and we realize we've been asleep at the wheel. So mindfulness is also about meeting, coming into the present moment, as somebody said here. And uh, easier said than done. We mostly hang out in the past, remembering, reminiscing, rehashing arguments and things we wish we'd done or didn't do. Or we're anticipating and worrying and planning and fantasizing about the future. Quite hard for the mind, for the attention to stay in the present. Yet the present is really where everything is happening. As they say in Vegas, you have to be present to win. Same with life. You have to be present to show up, to, f- to, to, to experience the joy and the beauty. But we have so much preference about what we want to be present to. I'll show up if it's fun, but I won't show up if it's boring or painful or work or my partner complaining about me, or emails, or driving, or all the other places we don't want to be present to, so we check out. A lot. And I'll say more about that as we go on. So, let us do some meditation practice. And we're going to do several short sessions (coughs) this morning. And we'll, we'll, the, the meditations will, will lengthen as we, as we go through the day. <coughs> so first, find a comfortable posture, or as comfortable as you can. Please feel free to grab extra cushion, blanket, support, There's a bunch of stuff in the corner there. If you want to meditate on the floor, that's fine. If you are meditating on the floor, please make sure you have enough height. It's very uncomfortable. 
uh, if you don't, and it's, it supports the back to have a natural curve in the lower back if you have sufficient height. So you might want to play with your, the height of your cushions. I usually sit with two cushions when I'm on the floor. If you can, have the knees supported with a cushion or a sweater or something. And then have the hand, if you're sitting on the chair, ideally don't lean back like a lazy boy because you'll fall asleep very quickly, which you probably will anyway. So what helps that, what I do with these chairs, I actually quite like these chairs, is I dig my, my back side and my lower back right into the back of the chair and then I sit upright. So I'm not really using the back of the chair except for the very bottom of the chair that sort of digs into the lower back a little bit. So it keeps you upright without using the support of the chair. So the, the point of sitting upright in this position is the energy that it takes to sit upright is about enough energy it takes to, to stay awake. Right? The more relaxed we are, the more likely we just, we're not using our own body's energy to stay upright so we fall asleep. And many of you will fall asleep anyway. So if you notice you're tired or sleepy or dull, keep your eyes open, just have your eyes cast down. Have your hands either on your legs or in your lap, folded, like these Buddhas behind me, I think. <laughs> oh, one of them, this one. So in this first practice, we're going to do what I call open awareness practice which is we're going to be present to the whole the fullness of our experience. We're not going to actually zero down into one particular point, which, we, which is often taught in meditation. We'll do that in the next meditation. We're just going to develop an overall sense of awareness of our body, our breath, sounds, feelings, posture, and whatever else comes into awareness. So, closing your eyes or having the eyes slightly cast down. It's fine to keep the eyes open, but just have them soft gaze down a little. And we're turning the gaze of awareness inwards. being aware of our inner experience initially. And so noticing what's, what that's like, that it's a very important moment. We turn towards ourselves rather than outwards. Get a sense of this inner experience called life. And I like to do sometimes what I call an inner weather report. And, it's, and it's, I, I, I come up with a word for, for what's happening in my body, a word for my heart, a word for my mind. So you might just do that. What's the quality of the body like? Tired, restless, happy, tight, achy. And a word for the heart, the emotions. How am I feeling in this moment? Sad, happy, 
calm, bored, grieving, and a word for the mind, busy, thinking, restless, calm, So mindfulness is learning to meet our experience as it is without fixing, controlling, changing, allowing, welcoming, noticing. So first bringing awareness to your posture. Where have your feet, legs, torso, hands, head, softening any unnecessary tension in the belly, let the shoulders be heavy. Face muscles relaxed, eyes soft. General awareness of the body. specific sensations, pleasant, unpleasant, Awareness of sounds. Inner sounds, outer sounds. Being present to sounds without thinking about the source of the sound. of sounds, aware of silence. the breath. Notice the quality of the breath.
notice where you feel and sense the breath. Nose, chest, belly. various emotions, feelings that come, joy, sadness, peace, boredom, restlessness. Being present to how these are felt in your body. what's often most predominant is our thoughts, ideas, beliefs, views, images. Our practice simply to notice, be aware of thoughts, and then release them, come back to our physical sensory experience. Sensing, hearing, seeing, feeling. So for the remaining part of the meditation, simply be present to whatever's calling your attention. And it may shift moment by moment, sounds, feelings, breath, sensations, thoughts, images, breath, sound, like so.
Noticing when you've drifted away from the present. Begin again. This moment, this breath, this sound, this sensation, this feeling.
moment, simply beginning again, no matter how far the attention wanders. Always can start right here. So there's a Billy Collins poem I liked a lot called In the Moment. And in part of that poem he writes something about something. <laughs> he writes, um, and I could feel the day offering itself to me and I wanted nothing more than to be in the moment. But which moment? Not this one, or that one, or that other one, or any of those that were scuttling by didn't seem perfectly right for me. <coughs> and besides, I was too knotted up with questions about the past and his tall evasive sister, the future. And what were we going to serve the vegetarian twins who were coming for dinner that evening? And why was that driver in the lone pickup truck driving down towards the railroad tracks? And so the priceless moments of the day were squandered one by one, or more likely a thousand at a time, with quandary and pointless interrogation. Sound familiar? And I could feel it's the day offering itself to me, and I wanted nothing more than to be in the moment. And then we get our experience. Oh, not that. <laughs> oh, let me think about the next series of Homeland. Or let me think about what's for dinner. Or let me think about where I'm hiking after this. Or who knows what we're thinking about. So any observations about that practice? What I call more open awareness practice? What was happening for you? You all sublimely present. <laughs> yes. Uh, thinking mind is really difficult. Thinking mind. Thinking mind is difficult and insidious. Yeah. Anybody thinking a lot? <laughs> yeah, like most people probably. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great um, inquiry, which is the questions about noticing sounds and then noticing there were some pleasant sounds, but a lot of unpleasant sounds, and then not noticing not wanting to be with the unpleasant sounds and trying to get away from them, but probably couldn't. And how do you be with that? And sounds are a great 
metaphor for this practice in a way because we have one we have no control over them two they <coughs> they happen randomly and three they're a mix of pleasant unpleasant and neutral which is the three possibilities in our experience and so when they're unpleasant and we can't get away from them then what do we do so often we react we complain we you know get resistant, we get reactive, we blame, we self, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's what we do with anything that's unpleasant that we can't control, right? We, we get to see, well, what do I do with experience? I hate it, I blame it, I think if only this thing goes away, I'll be happy, right? And then so we stop being present. We, we're like, being, I'll be present, but, you know, not to that. And that's suffering. Because to do that, we're contracting. We're contracting away from what's true in the moment. And that's true with every aspect of our experience. If we don't like it and we don't want it and react to it, we're the ones who are suffering. The sound is just happily being sound, whether it's someone's loud breath or belly guggling or jackhammering or who knows what, you know, neighbor's dog music. <clears throat> so the point of mindfulness practice is, one, to be present, two, to see the ways that we're not present, to see the ways that we get reactive, and then it actually gives a capacity to choose. I know if I do this, I'm going to feel suffering. So what happens if I just be present to the unpleasantness and feel the unpleasantness of the sound? Which is sort of a radical thing to do. Because normally we think we, sh we are only happy when we control our environment and get rid of stuff we don't want and get all the stuff we like. Well, good luck, wrong planet, you know, unless you live on an island, but even then there's bugs or there's something. You know, so that's our life is trying to create this perfect moment. Then I'll meditate, but it's not how life is. So meditation is a preparation for how to be with everything that's difficult and, and challenging and unpleasant in our lives, which is a lot. You know, whether it's, you know, political, the weather, our health, our family, loved ones, you know, I mean, it's, there's a lot of unpleasant stimuli. So if we can train ourselves, and sound's a great place to train, then it's not a problem. So I went to this uh, retreat years ago when I f first started. It was actually my first or second Vipassana retreat in, in Bodh Gaya, in India. <coughs> and <coughs> outside the, the monastery, there was um, this, the town had built up around the monastery. It used to be in the paddy fields, now it was busy and bustly, and this travel agency put a sign up outside the uh, shop, travel agency set up shop outside the monastery selling bus tickets all over India, and they put a loudspeaker on top of the, the, the little hut, and they were announcing on a little cassette tape recorder loop tickets, you know, and then they and it went like this, hello, 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 and then some words in Hindi I didn't understand, and then... Um, Bombay, Calcutta, Delhi, Darjeeling, Madras, a few more words in Hindi, blah, blah, and then the tape would rewind. Hello, hello, <laughs> hello, hello, hello. And this was day two of a 20-day silent meditation retreat. We were in this concrete hall that just was bouncing around. The sound was just driving us all nuts. And we weren't allowed to go out of the gates of the monastery. That was a rule for being on the retreat. So we couldn't practice nonviolent direct action and, you know, <laughs> and plug, snip. And so you just had to sit with it. You know, unpleasant, unpleasant, hating, hating, homicidal feelings, homicidal feelings, rage, self-pity, blame, 
Why don't the retreat people do something about it? You know, why do they have this retreat here? I should go to England. Why, you know, suffering, suffering, suffering. And then you know, day after day, it just winds, it grinds you down. At some point, the mind has to just give in, like yield, and just go, okay, I'm just, it's just sound. It's just sound. You know, I like the wind, but I don't like this sound. I like the people sound, but not the recorder sound. And at some point, it's just, you know, with mindfulness, we can embrace it with, oh, this just sound. It's unpleasant. I don't like it. I don't want it. But here it is. And to react to it is suffering. Let go of the reaction. It's just sound. Sajjan Chah says, great meditation master, it's not the sound that disturbs us, but we that disturb the sound. And it's not the noise that disturbs us, but we disturb the noise. So I'm giving you a longer answer because it's really a metaphor for everything in our life is there's always stuff we don't like, like my backache for me or my knee pain, or today it's my neck ache, you know. And so what do I do with that? Do I suffer more by hating it and judging it and resisting it? Or do I go, oh, yeah, that's unpleasant. I can be with that. Yeah? And I can also notice there's other things happening like my breath or my feet or other sounds or so there's a very important quote that I love from Viktor Frankl, which is points to this um, principle that mindfulness brings. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. So between sound and reactivity, there's a space. In that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. In that space lies our freedom and our power, and I'd say our awareness to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and happiness. In our response lies our growth, our happiness, or our unhappiness. That makes sense? So with everything that's happening in our lives, big or small, that principle applies. Mindfulness creates a space or a pause in which we can see, oh, if I react, I contract and hate and get bitter and angry, I'm the one who's suffering. You know, maybe we're having these arguments with our boss in our head because they you know, gave us a bad review or they said something snooty and, and we just, mm, wait till I get to work, I'm going to say this and do that. And, mm. Who's suffering? The boss is probably sailing on the bay today. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, who's suffering? Right? So this is like unleash, un, unburdening our suffering. Any other observations about the meditation? So lots of thoughts. So thoughts are, well, that's what we work with a lot in our, in our meditation because we think a lot. You know, that's what we, we got PhDs in thinking. So to think that suddenly we'll come to meditation and not think is, is just not, it's the wrong planet. It's the wrong brain. Our brains think. Even at the, you see a MRI scan of the brain at rest and it's very active. The brain doesn't rest. So, so we have to learn to come into a skillful relationship with our thinking, to not get be so entranced by it, recognize when it's happening. And most of the training part of practice is to recognize with thinking and come back into the physical sensory present, which is mostly our body and the senses. Because it's slower and less easy, and, and, and the body and the senses are always in the present moment, right? You're hearing a sound, even if it's unpleasant, at least you're present, you're actually in the room, you're not back at work, or you're not surfing, or you're not wherever. So, there's Stanford did some research that we think somewhere between 60 and 90,000 thoughts a day. Um, that's an old piece of research, but I haven't heard anything to the contrary, so that's a lot of thoughts. 
That's about one thought a second. So we so we're not we're not making an enemy of thought. We're not reacting to thoughts. We're just noticing. Oh, I'm lost in thought again. Come back. That's why we need a lot of patience, a lot of kindness with ourselves, a lot of compassion. We didn't, you know. Did you did you choose to have any one of those thoughts that you had in the meditation? Did you go? Oh, I'm going to think about when I was five at, at uh, <laughs> kindergarten. No, they just random, right? Just random, random, and so. We notice it and we go, that's not what I'm actually doing right now. I'm actually being more attentive to what's happening here in the present moment. And you do that again and again and again with a lot of patience and kindness. Any other comments? Breath is a good way to get the thoughts. So breath is a good way to... So we'll do some breath meditation, the next meditation, to ground the awareness in the body. As away from the thoughts. Yes. I actually find that um, when I focus on my breath, I lose it, and then it drives me nuts. When you focus on your breath, you lose it. So the breath becomes short or elusive. Yeah, elusive. Uh huh. Yeah, it becomes more subtle. So if the breath becomes elusive, you can either shift the attention to something, to just the body sitting, awareness of the body, posture, sensations, or you can also uh, just bring the breath back a little stronger. Yeah. Mostly we're letting our experience be as it is, but um, there are times when we can just bring a little more energy to it. Yeah. And there's plenty of other stimuli to be present to if, if the breath is elusive. So just shift to what else is happening. So there's a really interesting study done by Harvard. I'm sure some of you came across this. It was quite widely um, uh, talked about in something online um, where they, they, I think it involved quite a lot of people. It's like 6,000 people in many countries and they asked people, and they had they were pinged on their cell phones throughout the day, and they were asked three questions: What are you doing? Are you what are you thinking about? And how do you f- are you present or are you thinking? And uh, how do you feel? The three questions, and they they collect this data and did a lot of interesting analysis of it, and basically. We, how often do you th- how much do you think we're we're spaced out in the day, not not present to our activities? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so it's forty six point nine percent of the day. Other studies have reproduced this and came up with sixty to seventy percent of the day. Um, but what was interesting about the data was not so much that we space out because duh, that's not surprising, but was when people spaced out and weren't present with the activity, they felt much less happy. So, but, but when they were doing an activity and they were present, even if it was a boring activity, boring as in doing the dishes, walking the dog, cleaning the house, cooking food, when they were present to it, they felt happy. When they were daydreaming and fantasizing, even they're fantasizing about something fun, it made them less happy in the moment. So, we, so through practice, through wisdom of our mindfulness, we we become disenchanted with our thoughts. We're not getting rid of thoughts, we just see, oh, it's not actually the source of happiness. And the only place that people weren't spaced out, I'm not sure how they did this because they were tracking people on their cell phones, but the only place people were not spacing out was? 
sex. Yeah. Not quite sure how they did that because you had to be pinged on. Hold on, honey. I'm present now. <clears throat> Don't know about you, but that wouldn't work. <clears throat> so, um, I want to do another piece of practice, but I'm also aware that this is a, probably a bathroom break moment. Um, so, what I'm going to suggest is we do, um, if you don't need a break, you don't need to you get a tea or bathroom, then um, stay in the room. We can do a standing meditation, but if you do need to go use the bathroom, this would be a time when we're going to do a standing practice for about 10 minutes, standing slash break, and, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll do some breath meditation, mindfulness of breath, and then we'll do some walking meditation after that. Okay. So let's stand for those of you who don't need to break. And if you do, please exit and just join us when you come back from your... And if whoever's volunteering today or, s- or Katie in the office, if we can get more ventilation in here, maybe some doors open and windows would be great. It's very stuffy. Thank you. So if people are next to windows, you could open the windows. That would be fabulous. Mindfulness of mugginess and <laughs> heat. So the Buddha talked about cultivating mindfulness in all four postures, sitting, walking, standing, and lying down. So we'll practice sitting, walking, standing, maybe lying down during the lunch break if you want to take a nap. Um, So, uh, and the point as evidenced in that list is the idea is we're cultivating this mindful awareness in every moment, in every action that we're doing. So in a lot of our day, we're standing, right? We're standing in line. We're standing, at the, waiting for a muni, bus, whatever. We're standing at the checkout. We're standing talking to people at a party. Um, many of the places we're just standing around. And so we want to learn how to uh, stay present, grounded, mindful, centered, in every, in wherever we are. So I find standing a lovely practice to do, uh, particularly when I'm feeling, you know, when I'm at, when I'm at a checkout line, Safeways, and the line's long, and I can notice my mind getting impatient and restless, and the person's writing a check, paying their groceries. Oh, and they just made a mistake, and they have to write in a new check. <laughs> And then they can't find their ID for the check, and then you know how it goes. So it's a great place to breathe, to just center yourself. Right? Are you waiting for the bus, and you're late for work, and the bus isn't coming? And okay, so what are you going to do? Are you going to feel miserable and angry and grumpy, or are you going to actually just try to stay present? 
So, um, so just beginning by uh, feeling your feet on the ground. So full contact with the soles of the feet. So both in Qigong and in yoga, the standing posture, mountain pose, wuchi, um, is one of the primary postures for those practices. Staying present. So just being aware of your whole body, noticing how different your experience is standing versus sitting. Notice maybe it picks up your energy. There's more brightness. Notice how it changes the breath. The diaphragm is a slightly different posture and position with the standing. So the breath has changed. Let your shoulders be heavy. Knees soft. Eyes gaze soft. Relax your jaw. And you can have your eyes closed if it helps you drop more inside to feel your inner physical experience. And of course, your attention will be drawn to thoughts, because that's what we do. So just notice. Notice where your attention goes. You want to be as curious about where your attention goes when it's not present here in your physical sensory experience as when it, when it is present. To begin to notice the tendencies. Oh, do I go to past memories? Do I go to the future planning? Do I go to judging the present? Where do you like to go? Are you rehearsing, telling people what your standing meditation was like when you get home? <laughs> we do. It's called reporting mind. We, we're planning, reporting our experience to some imagined person in the future, which we actually never end up doing. And if we do, it's different than what we're thinking. So it's a waste of time. Just forget it. Like any planning for the future, we, any preparation for conversation, it's never like we imagine it's going to be because there's another person involved. God forbid. <laughs> Getting in the way of our great speech. <coughs> so we have to have a sense of humor with our mind and say, okay, not now, just here. Here. Just this. Standing. Sensing your feet. Sensing the movement of the body. The body's always in movement, even when we're still. The muscles contracting, relaxing, to keep the skeletal frame upright. You can be just with your breath. You can be with the moving, changing sensations of standing. 
and maybe you notice the, the f- what's called the feeling tone, the Vedana, the, the, the pleasantness or the unpleasantness. Right? So for some people, standing is not so comfortable. Right? So feeling into the discomfort, the achiness, the unpleasant sensations. For some people, standing is pleasant. Can you welcome and allow your experience to be as it is? And now bringing that same quality of attention to the movement it takes to go from standing to sitting. So an unbroken stream of mindful awareness as you shift from standing to sitting. Noticing all the complex movements it takes to shift the body into different postures. If we slow it down, you might notice a little more of that process.
This is from Rilke, poet, writer. He's talking about, he's, so this is from Letters to a Young Poet, and he's talking about art, but it really is a great metaphor for meditation. He says works of art, but you can uh, substitute meditation. Works of art are of an infinite solitude, and no means of approach is as useless as criticism. Only love can touch them. Being an artist or meditator means not numbering or counting, but ripening like a tree. It comes only to those who are patient, who are there as if eternity lay before them, so unconcernedly and silent and vast. I learn it every day of my life, learn it with difficulty I am grateful for. Patience and ripening are everything. So in this next practice, which is um, um, the Buddha called Anapanasati, mindfulness of breath, we're um, cultivating not just mindfulness, but also a quality of what's known as shamatha or um, collectedness of mind, unification of mind. So usually in our lives, our attention, if you haven't noticed, is pretty scattered. There's a great phrase that I learned from a social psychologist who tracks the, what's happening to us in the digital age, and she coined this phrase, we live in constant partial attention. Constant partial attention. We're driving and we're listening to the radio. We're doing email and we're on the phone. We're cooking and we're on the phone. We're eating and we're reading the newspaper. Right? We're just constantly dividing. And in many workplaces, you're expected to have constant partial attention. You're you know, you're expected to be on the phone and checking email and surfing and, and all the things you need to be doing. So, um, you know, study, many studies have been done that, that multitasking and this partial attention doesn't actually lead to great fruit. It slows us down, the quality is reduced, and the net effect is we feel like we've got ADD, attention deficit disorder, which we kind of do as a culture. And so mindfulness is an antidote to that scatteredness. And particularly mindfulness when we're choosing just one particular object of attention, in this case the breath, where we're coming back to a single point again and again and again. The last practice we did, which is more which I call open awareness, which is um, the kind of mindfulness practice or mindful orientation we have in our lives because when we're walking down the street you want to have that open awareness you want to have awareness of your body but also sounds and people and cars and right but at times we also want a very focused attention like in a conversation you're working on your computer you're writing you're teaching somebody something you want that very focused awareness so this using of the breath is a way of developing this, where we're gathering, collecting the scattered attention, unifying the mind into a single point. It's really simple. It's really simple. You breathe, you pay attention. You breathe, you pay attention. Just like that. Not easy, but simple. So that's why we practice. So let's practice, or let's meditate.
So again, finding a comfortable posture where you can sit ease, some relative ease, upright. First, bring some awareness to your body, body posture. Notice the place from which you're beginning the meditation. So if you're feeling tired and sluggish, you know, sit really upright, keep the eyes slightly open. If you're feeling very restless and agitated, know that you need to bring in the quality of calm or relaxation, so feel the relaxation on the out-breath. So part of meditation practice is balancing, meeting what is, and then responding appropriately. And as you bring awareness to your body, you'll notice that the body is breathing all by itself. So you want to let the breath breathe by itself. However the breath is. And be mindful. The Buddha says, when I breathe in a long breath, I'm aware of breathing in a long breath. When I breathe in a short breath, I'm aware of breathing in a short breath. And noticing the quality of the breath, noticing how it changes. Sometimes smooth, sometimes tense, sometimes short, sometimes long. And first noticing the breath, the tip of the nose, which is a very good place for concentration. Tip of the nose, big, and uh, entrance to the nostrils. Feeling the cool air come in, warm air going out. So sensing, feeling and sensing the breath rather than imagining the breath. Letting the breath breathe itself. If you notice you're controlling the breath, that happens sometimes. If you can let it go, fine. If not, just be present to the breath slightly.
controlled. If you get too tense around the breath, just let it go for a little bit. Be present to your body, to sounds, and then come back again. Now shift the awareness to the chest, front of the chest, back of the chest, scapula, shoulders. Notice how the breath moves the ribcage, expanding, contracting. Shifting awareness to the belly, diaphragm, lower back, noticing the movements of the breath there. And then letting your attention rest in one of those places where the breath is felt easiest, most clearly. Nose, throat, chest, belly. Or be present to the whole movement of the breath from the nostrils to the belly. Whatever allows you to sustain connection with the breath.
it's helpful, you can make a soft mental note of in on the in-breath, out on the out-breath. It's a way to connect the mind more with the moment's experience. Notice the beginning of an in-breath, sustaining the attention just for that in-breath. Notice the beginning of an out-breath, sustain awareness just for that out-breath. Aware of any pause after the out-breath. Be mindful of your body during the pause until the next in-breath comes in. Noticing where the attention wanders, if it's away from the breath, to sensations, emotions, sounds. It's fine to acknowledge these things and then keep returning to the breath.
receiving a breath in the same way that you receive a sound. Staying curious to each passing breath, each one different from the last.
Where is the attention in this moment? If it's not with the breath, where does it go? Without judgment, returning again and again. This moment, this body, this breath. Last couple of minutes of the meditation, no matter what's gone before, beginning again. This moment, this breath, this sound. Close with a reading from Pema Chodron called the Pith Instruction. The Pith Instruction in meditation is stay, stay, just stay. Learning to stay with ourselves in meditation is like training a dog. If we train a dog by beating it, we'll end up with an obedient but very flexible and rather terrified dog. The dog may obey when we say stay, come, roll over, he will be neurotic and confused. 
By contrast, training with kindness results in someone who is flexible and confident, who doesn't become upset when situations are unpredictable and insecure. So whenever we wander off, we gently encourage ourselves to stay and settle down. Are we experiencing restlessness? Stay. Discursive mind? Stay. Fear and loathing out of control? Stay. Aching knees and throbbing back? Stay. What's for lunch? Stay. What am I doing here? Stay. I can't stand this another minute. Stay. That is how to cultivate steadfastness. You may be wondering, sometimes one of the things that comes up when we practice is, why am I doing this? What is this? It sounds like a good idea, this mindfulness thing, being aware of something, and but like being aware of my navel going in and out, that's really, is this really the point of life? So this is from, this was in the Times a long time ago, and it's a kind of interesting story. It's one, one application. At 4.30 when most of, no, it wasn't the Times, it was in Time magazine. At 4.30 when most of Wall Street is winding down, Walter Zimmerman begins a high-stakes, high-wire act conducted live before a paying audience. About 200 institutional investors shell out about $3,000 a month to catch his daily webcast on the volatile energy markets, a performance that can move hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm not paid to be wrong, I can tell you that, Zimmerman says. But as he clicks through dozens of screens and graphics on three computers, he's the picture of focus calm. Zimmerman, 54, watched most of his peers in energy futures burn out long ago. He attributes his brain's enduring sharpness not to an intravenous espresso drip, but to minutes of <coughs> meditation each morning and evening. The practice, he says, helps him maintain the clarity he needs for quick, insightful analysis, even approaching happy hour. Meditation, he says, is my secret weapon. So there's many, many stories like that where meditation does allow us to stay calm and centered in the midst of whatever we're doing, whether it's raising children or uh, working with homelessness in San Francisco or who knows what your occupation is, but there's many, many wonderful applications. So what I'd like to do now is to do some walking meditation. And uh, what I'd like you to do now is walking meditation, <laughs> which is another form of uh, practicing mindfulness. And again, in our lives, we uh, generally walk and we're on autopilot. So I was reading an interesting book that was talking about the automaticity of uh, our functioning and that about 85% of our physical actions are done automatically by the brain. We don't need to give it any conscious attention like walking or standing um, or eating for the most part. And so what happens when things are on that level of automatic, we go to sleep. We start, what do we do? We think. We just, we stay up in our heads and do something else. And so walking is another one of those daily activities that it's a wonderful vehicle for cultivating presence. I've 
been doing this practice, Vipassana practice, probably for the last, well, since, uh, since 1991. And uh, been doing a lot of walking practice, especially on retreats. We, we alternate the day on a meditation retreat like that's happening up the hill with sitting meditation and walking meditation. So um, hours and hours and hours and days, months of uh, walking meditation is a really great way to train the attention how to be present. And uh, so I particularly valued it because now whenever I walk, I feel my body, I'm in my body, and it's an immediate way to ground, immediate way to get centered, um, in some ways more applicable than the sitting practice. And so when we learn how to move with presence, then all the different times in the day, when you're in your house, when you're walking down the street, when you're shopping, when you're at work, they can be times to... They're like a mindfulness spell to come back into your body and stay centered, which can be incredibly helpful, uh, especially at work or situations that are demanding a certain mental intensity to learn how to drop back into your body every time you walk to the photocopy machine or the bathroom or to a meeting or whatnot. So how we walk in this practice is we walk solo. So we go outside. There's a beautiful day. You can walk in the meadow. You can walk on the paths. You can walk on the road out there. Um, don't go beyond the wooden gate because there's a silent meditation retreat going on up the hill, which we want to leave undisturbed. And what you do is you find a place, you stand for a moment, you kind of gather yourself like we just did with a standing meditation, and then you walk maybe 20, 30 steps. You're basically walking up and down like in a runway. And the point is you're not going for a walk, you're not going for a hike, you're not going anywhere. You're simply walking, being present to your body as it's moving through space. And particularly, the anchor for the, for the attention is, is in the steps. So each time you step, right, left, you're really bringing your full awareness into that sensation. Great to do it barefoot, if that feels comfortable. Feel the full sensation of touching, moving, lifting, placing, moving, lifting, placing. You can walk slow, you can walk whatever speed allows you to stay the most present. So when I do walking practice, I start walking normal pace. I walk up and down, just freshen my legs, pick up the energy a little bit, and then I let my body just dictate the pace, and I start. I notice my body over time starts to like walking slower through the, through the 30 or so minutes that we'll be walking. So... Um, that's the main instruction. Have your eyes down so we're not looking around, checking out everybody and see who's the coolest meditator or who's got the nicest meditation clothes. We're just staying with ourselves. You know, and of course, it's a beautiful place. You might notice a beautiful tree or a bird or turkey or something. You can stop, take it in, enjoy the beauty, be present to seeing or hearing or smelling or whatever's calling your attention, and then start walking again. And what I like to do when I'm walking is... Um, you know, I find my walking place, I stand, I gather my intention to be present as I'm walking, and I walk like 20, 30 steps. I stop, I turn around, and I know by that time I've spaced out at least once or twice. So I recenter. okay, I'm going to be present for this next step, and this next step for the next 30 steps. No doubt I've spaced out again by the time I go back. Pause, gather, refocus, intention, start again. So just like with the breath, one half breath at a time, one step at a time, Whatever I say in here about the, the sitting meditation applies to the walking meditation. Whether you drift or space out, get lost in thought. You don't need to look at your feet. don't need to think about the walking. Just be present to the sensory nature of the walk. Enjoy 
the physicality of walking. And often the mind will do its thing. You notice it. You come back. Begin again. Stepping. And you can you can make a note. Stepping. Stepping. Left. Right. Like so. Is that clear? Have your hands relaxed by your side, in your pockets, however, in front of you. Um, and so we'll walk for about half an hour. We'll, we'll have a bell in 30 minutes at uh, 10 after 12, and then we'll come back for a little sitting before lunch. And um, I will stay in here if you have, because it's a big group, I don't obviously have time to get to all the questions. So if you have questions or they're more personal, please feel free to ask me a question in here. Um, and that's that. Any questions about that? When do you start after lunch? When do we start lunch? After lunch. After. Oh, what time do we start? It depends what time we break for lunch. So we'll probably start back, uh, that's way in the future, but probably around <laughs> 1.45 or 2. I don't know, well, depending on what time we, f- we finish. So, okay. Okay, so enjoy your walking practice. We'll come back in 11, f- 12, 15. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.